Hello and welcome to National League Town, Mets fandom, Mets history, Mets life, with Long Island's own Greg Prince and Jeff Heisen. Hey, Greg. Greetings from the Rule 5 draft, Jeff. I'm at the Mets table. I'm with Wayne Garrett and nobody else because they only invited Mets who had a long-term impact after being drafted in the Rule 5 draft. And guess what? The Mets are still looking to match what they got out of Wayne Garrett, one of the best third basemen in Mets history. I don't know who else is coming. It probably won't be somebody who contributes to two pennants, a World Series, and gives us eight years. So I just wanted to get that off my chest. And Wayne, you can go now. Uh, He's a great guy. I select you, Greg. Well, I am not even Kelly Stinnett. On today's show, we talk about the Queens baseball convention. But first, welcome Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander is a New York Met, the future Hall of Famer, the reigning Cy Young winner in the American League, member of the world champion Houston Astros. No longer, he's now a New York Met. Jake, who? We've got Justin Verlander, Greg. That was quick. We barely had time to mourn the passing of Jacob deGrom, or at least full-on mourn the passing of Jacob deGrom, before we learned we had somebody to take Jacob deGrom's starts, and hopefully more than just 11 of them in 2023 and 2024. Uh, We spoke over the weekend about Jacob deGrom going, and that is a very special episode of National League Town, I think, because it's the equivalent of the 49-star flag when the United States had Alaska, but not yet Hawaii, because we were in flux. But now, uh, at the top of our rotation, we seem to be set with some of the best that the Detroit Tigers ever had about 10 years ago, and those guys are still at the top of their game. Justin Verlander signed for two, and I guess there's an option for a third year, uh, at which time he will be even older But let's not get hung up on age. Let's get hung up on results and the promise of some more short-term results. Uh, I have to admit, as as upset as I was when I got an email from you last Friday night announcing in so many words, F him, and I knew what you meant immediately, uh, this time I just happened to be scrolling by some stranger on Twitter and saw the name Verlander, and I saw Mets and saw it was done. And if I can quote my reaction, ah, and that was a happy version of what I usually yell during Mets games. So, uh, you know what? We do move on, as uh, has been evidenced in the last few days. Uh, While we're talking, the Mets haven't officially, officially announced it, but nobody's denying it. It's been kind of fun watching both uh, Buck Showalter and Billy Epler respond to questions about it that are indirect because they can't say anything, and I guess physicals have to be taken and whatever else has to happen with uh, dotted I's and cross T's. But as long as the right arm is sound, uh, that's all we care about. So we got one and two, a hell of a one and two, certainly a one and two to match our one year ago wildest dreams with the one and two we had, at least when August rolled around with DeGrom and Scherzer. Now it's whatever order you want them in. Verlander and Scherzer, Scherzer and Verlander, Scherlander, I'm sure that's been said somewhere. It has gone from being kind of a dark December to kind of a promising December. And it's not even the middle of December yet. So let's see uh, let's see what we got beyond Verlander. But really, we got Verlander. How the hell did that happen? 17 seasons, 
244 wins. He has aspirations of 300. That's going to be tough to do over three years if they exercise the option. That's, what, 18, 19 wins a season. But let's hope he can do that. 3198 strikeouts. You know who has 3193? I'm guessing he's the guy who's pitching uh, the, the day before or the day after. Justin Verlander. That's right. Uh, Max Scherzer, 3,193. Verlander, 3,198. Two Cy Youngs, one MVP, Rookie of the Year, two World Series, and he's ours. A Mets starter, hopefully a Mets legend. He is supposed to be an excellent fielder. And he's reliable. You anticipated this last week, Greg. You said that given his age, there'd probably be a period during the season when he needs some rest and they feign an injury. The Astros did that last year. I'm not saying that his muscle strain was, wasn't real, but they had such a big lead. They took him out of the rotation for a few weeks in September. That's going to happen, I think. Yeah, he got 28 starts last year, which is pretty close to a full boat uh, I just want to give him one more Cy Young award. He actually won three. Mm. Let it let us not shortchange our co-aces and and their many many awards. 2011, 2019, 2022. I realize we don't recognize the American League at National League Town, but he did win those. Uh, you know, we are going with you know 80 years of, if not experience in baseball, almost 80 years of experience on Earth. And these guys have been getting guys out for a long time. And the best part of it is uh, minus a game against San Diego and a game against Atlanta. Max, uh, we know, is still doing it. Justin, we saw last June, late last June at City Field. He was masterful. Uh, He was in a duel with a guy we're probably going to talk about in a few minutes, Taiwan Walker. And Taiwan had one of his best games as a Met and Justin outpitched him. I looked it up, actually. Justin has pitched against the Mets, I think, twice in his entire career. So interleague play hasn't totally uh, taken the mystique out of uh, knowing a pitcher from another league. Actually, I, w- I was at the game he pitched against the Mets in 2010. The Mets lit him up. And at the time, I said, well, I'm never going to want that guy on my team. And I, I don't think I was uh, that uh, foresightful. Uh, listen, he's been out there. I guess the, the one thing that was going against Justin Verlander was he wasn't very good in World Series play. Well, he's good in World Series play now. He pitched a hell of a game for the Astros on their way to the World Championship. And I would love to find out how Justin Verlander pitches in World Series games for myself from watching the Mets in the World Series with him. So I will uh, I'll take my chances. Speaking of Taiwan Walker, his slot in the rotation appears to have been taken by Jose Quintana, 33 years old, a left-handed pitcher. And as Greg said, Justin Verlander pitched at City Field recently. If Jose Quintana's name doesn't sound familiar, it's because the Mets haven't faced him since 2019. He was with the Pirates and the Cardinals last year, started the Cardinals' first playoff game. And he's a north-south pitcher, according to Pitcher's List, which is a fantasy website. They question whether or not that whether or not he can sus- sustain his success from last year. Fangraphs said he was kind of lucky last year because not all of his fly balls went out and home runs 
given up his uh, luck dependence, uh, as they say, whether or not the wind's blowing one way or the other, the size of the ballpark, maybe the skill of the outfielder too. So Fangraphs thought he was kind of lucky last year, but still his numbers were good. He was a four war and that certainly was good enough. He's a reliable starter uh, and he has pitched in eight of his 11 seasons, including 2022, he's made at least 29 starts and thrown at least 165 innings. So welcome to the Mets, Jose Quintana. You like a little durability and you got to love experience. That's what this rotation is all about. And Jose Quintana, I guess, in a way, peaked around 2016, made the all-star team as a White Sox. I know he was a hot trade deadline commodity more than once, it seems. Uh, it's nice to have a lefty beyond David Peterson, who we're going to rely on. And we're going to go into a season now with, what, three guys, mostly American League in their background? Well, sure, there's been the National League quite a while at this point. And Quintana was in the National League for a few years. Uh, you know, we, we talked about schedules a couple of episodes ago. That stuff is going to become less and less relevant, I suppose. Uh, a North-South pitcher when I was a kid was somebody who was traded from Montreal to Atlanta. <laughs> I guess that's not what it means anymore. Uh, listen, the, the Mets have to rebuild a pitching staff. It's weird to think about a team that wins 101 games that had the names that they had just a few months ago. And now we're talking about at least 40%, possibly 60% of the rotation uh, being transformed. But that is the business we are in, the business we have chosen. Uh, we know about DeGrom. Uh, Taiwan Walker, no longer with us. Uh, he went north-south, albeit 90 miles south to Philadelphia, got himself a nice four-year deal. Hey, Good luck, Taiwan Walker, except when you pitch against the Mets or pitch for the Phillies. Oh, rats. That's <laughs> everything I suppose. Hey, listen, uh, it's hard to get excited about anybody pitching for the Phillies, but I, th I thought uh, Taiwan gave us two pretty good years, uh, two great first halves, uh, a horrible second half, quite honestly, in 2021, but the whole team was horrible, and bad good starts in the second half of 2022. Carried himself well. I know that that sounds like a broad generality but things like you know bringing out the taco truck and giving away the free tacos and raising funds uh for causes near and dear to him uh being the guy who showed up on pride night in the team store and buying fans uh pride themed mets merchandise just generally being a a positive type of cat uh on social media and other things and and not uh not being one of those guys who brings you down I listen, all you really care about, I suppose, is, uh, you know, getting seven shutout innings. And you got some of those outings, too. Um, you know, it seems since DeGrom left, and I think we talked about this in, in our uh, most recent episode, suddenly you, fi you find things out. Hey, you know what? Not only did Jacob DeGrom not like New York, he disliked New York so much that it's not that he used a knife and fork to eat his pizza. He doesn't even eat pizza unless it's from Domino's. That's how horrible Jacob deGrom is. That's the sort of thing we're hearing. I don't think we're going to hear that um, out of Taiwan Walker. I mean, he was here, did his job, two-year contract, uh, did as much as he could. And again, if I can just be a person about it, I hope he pitches well. Uh, if I can be a Mets fan about it, I hope Philadelphia doesn't benefit from his pitching well. But 
just as we were all about Taiwan Walker two years ago, once we were without whoever he replaced, Michael Walker or Rick Porcello or whatever the pecking order was that week. Um, we're all about Jose Quintana in his slot now. Walker uh, seemed like an excellent human being. You mentioned on Pride Night when he went to the Met store, took out his credit card and said, buy stuff, put it on me. And that was a great, a great, great move for Taiwan Walker. Uh, but the, the he got a four-year deal. The Mets want short-term contracts. It appears that as if they want money off the off their plate in two years. Cano has one more year, believe it or not, of being paid by the Mets. You have the Verlander contract. You have the Scherzer contract. Quintana's two years. I don't think they wanted to go longer. Maybe that's why they didn't get Carlos Guadon. And and they did not. Uh, and they and they did not keep Taiwan Walker. We'll see what that means when it comes to Chris Bassett or Hade Senga. We're taping this on Wednesday around 2 p.m. Eastern. So events may have superseded that last comment. But it appears the, uh, that uh, Steve Cohn wants to get money, get money off the uh, off the rolls in two years. You know, they didn't want to go more than three years for Jacob deGrom and Taiwan Walker. Getting four years kind of tells you something, tells you what you just told me and our listeners. Uh, we are in an interesting uh, period right now where we think about, we think nothing. And I say we, meaning baseball, nine years for Aaron Judge in the Bronx, 11 years for Trey Turner in Philadelphia. Five years for an aging catcher in Wilson Contreras, uh, the apple of our eye so often on this show. Uh, he goes and replaces Yadier Molina. But pitchers are a different, especially pitchers who get up there, are a different breed. And I suppose if you knew going into 2016, 2017, if you had the Jacob deGrom who was just around the bend and you could have given him 10 years back then, if you could have seen into your Jacob deGrom crystal ball, you would have. But these guys when they're in free agency at this stage of their careers and being pitchers and the uncertainty that goes with it. I can understand four years for Walker, who is not that old, but not that young. It's not a, I can see where it would not be. If not a, not a priority, then maybe not a preference. And sooner or later you have to make choices. And we still haven't seen what the Mets are going to do with center field. Who knows if Brandon Nimmo is going to be back. He appears to be in a great position, not just playing center field, but financially. And the Mets don't seem to have good options. So at some point that you may have to say, we'll just deal with the consequences or we'll pay more than we have to. I'm not sure what else they can do. There's talk about moving Starling Marte to center field, but he's 34 and coming off an injury. Buck Showalter said last night on SNY that Marte said he's healthy and wants to play winter ball. Let him play right field. He's 34. Center field's harder on the body. That was a terrific combination, Nimmo and Marte. Center right, especially for a guy who is a center fielder moving over to right with no complaints. The injuries that got Marte diminished down the stretch, they didn't seem like chronic injuries but it is a lot to ask remember they when the Mets had no other options they put Curtis Granderson in center after several years in right field and it worked out okay but you had the sense you were better off with him in the right field you know after DeGrom leaves I, I can feel like you know because uh, I'm gonna call him Jose DeGrom I'm already forgetting who he was <laughs> Jacob DeGrom 
left the Mets. Uh, you know, it just feels like nothing is off the table. Nothing is sacred. So whereas maybe a week ago, I would have believed in my heart that, oh, no, Brandon Nimmo will never leave us. Uh, I can pretend to picture what Brandon Nimmo is thinking. It might be, well, if, if Jake uh, you know, doesn't need to stay and he's an icon, uh, me, I'm not quite an icon here. Uh, and I can get lots of money somewhere else where I can go be whatever it is that makes Brandon Nimmo happy. Um, it just feels like maybe he's going to say sayonara in so many words, or maybe he'll say, you know what, the outfield uh, market is settling. Maybe this is a good deal that they're offering me, but I mean, you can say anything you want. We're fans. We're just making it up as we go along. We read some articles and we make some inferences. I don't have a great feeling that Nimmo is going to be back, but I'm also hoping that having just said that, that, uh, the folks at Freezing Cold Takes will we'll capture that audio and uh, show uh, how wrong I was because uh, here comes Brandon Nimmo back to finish his career as a Met, but we'll see. Not sure what alternatives the Mets have. They could always trade for Brian Reynolds, who wants out of Pittsburgh. They could move Marte to center, as we said. They could move McNeil to the outfield and play Guillaume at second. They could, there's a guy out there named Michael Conforto who could play the corners if Marte moves to center. I'm sure this will all be resolved in the next few days. Let's hope Brandon Nimmo's back and the previous comments were moot. And maybe, uh, I, know, I know one of the guys you've had your eyes on, Jake Magnum, if he's not taken by somebody in uh, the Rule 5 draft. I like Jake Magnum, but the Mets didn't protect him. And the Rule 5 draft is today, which is Wednesday at 5 p.m. He may not be a Met by the time you are hearing this. And, and as you know, the Rule 5 draft is held at 5 p.m., so everybody remembers what rule it is. Because they used to hold the Rule 5 draft earlier in the day, and people were confused. So if they held it at 10 in the morning, they thought it was the Rule 10 draft. The GM showed up. They looked at the rule book. They were totally confused. And that's how Wayne Garrett got away from the Braves in 1968. And if you were, weren't listening at the beginning of the show, I selected Greg in the Rule 5 draft. But that means yeah. he has to stay on the Major League podcast roster for the entire season. Because Jeff made his selection before 5 o'clock, it's invalid. So guess what? <laughs> I'm a free agent. You had a big day on Saturday, Greg, at the Queens Baseball Convention. Queens Baseball Convention is an unofficial fan gathering for Mets fans. But again, the Mets are not the sponsors. The Mets had one in January of 2020, a few weeks before anybody thought it was a bad idea for people to get together indoors and uh, <laughs> greet each other warmly. Yeah, QBC, Queens Baseball Convention, brainchild of a few uh, ambitious people who decided the Mets should have a fan fest uh, going back almost 10 years now. January 2014 was the first one. It has kind of hopped around from venue to venue by choice and by necessity and used to be in January. It's been in November. This year it was in December. And yeah, it's a, it's a good chance for Met folks to say hello. And the people who put it on the, the, the two main machers, as we say, are Keith Blacknick and Dan Twohig. And uh, they bring in a few players. Uh, they put together some panels, uh, some of which I used to host and Close to my heart, they sanction the Gil Hodges Unforgettable Fire Award, which is sort of where I come in every year at the Queen's Baseball Convention. Greg, what's the Gil Hodges Unforgettable Fire Award? The Gil Hodges Unforgettable Fire Award is something that we conceived at the beginning of the QBC process. Uh, 
kind of had two goals in mind. One was to honor somebody in the vein of Gil Hodges, somebody who makes us proud to be Mets fans in so many words. The idea of the unforgettable fire as we keep the torch lit and we keep the memory of Gil Hodges alive. That was the other idea. When Gil Hodges entered our thoughts uh, at the beginning of QBC almost 10 years ago, Gil Hodges was not in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And we wondered if even Mets fans, later generations of Mets fans, were fully aware of who Gil Hodges was other than a number way up in the rafters or over the left field fence, I suppose, uh, was the case uh, circa 2014. So we wanted you know, an opportunity once a year uh, in the middle of a lot of fun, not that it isn't fun to talk baseball history, God knows, but you know, in the middle of a lot of the things that go on at QBC, we want to take a few minutes and say Gil Hodges, unparalleled life, unparalleled importance in the Mets story, and we want to keep his legacy alive, and we want to salute somebody who has done that sort of thing in his own way. And you know, s- since the award started, uh, it's been given out. You know, the first year we gave it posthumously to Gil Hodges and his son. Gil Hodges Jr. was kind enough to show up and accept it. Uh, he and his family were kind enough to say thank you for doing this. They didn't say don't do this by any means. So we uh, we had Gil, we had Ed Charles, the glider, uh, the next year. And that was an incredibly wonderful day uh, where he showed up. Uh, it was sort of like Cab Calloway showing up and uh, doing a number uh, in the Blues Brothers when uh, everything looks hopeless. And then here comes Cab Calloway dressed to the nines. Because I remember Ed Charles was dressed to the nines when we're all standing around in Mets jerseys and, and Mets hoodies. And uh, he was wonderful. And he talked about Gil Hodges. Uh, it was a blizzard that took it out one year, but we were going to give it to Buddy Harrelson and Dan, one of the organizers, went out to the Ducks ballpark out in central Islip and gave it to Buddy Harrelson. He gave a nice speech between games of a doubleheader, talked about how much Gil meant to him and probably one of the last times Buddy did anything like that. Uh, we gave it to Tom Seaver on the occasion of the 50th anniversary of his rookie season with no expectation that Tom Seaver was going to show up from California and he didn't, but Art Chamsky suddenly shows up with almost unannounced. Uh, He just decided that uh, somebody should be there for Tom. And if you've read the fantastic book after the miracle written by Art Chamsky with Eric Sherman, uh, where he talks about going out to California with Buddy and meeting up with Jerry Kuzman and getting together with Tom Seaver and Ron Swoboda, uh, there is a picture in there and there's a passage in there that talks about bringing him his Gil Hodges Unforgettable Fire Award and Tom putting it over his mantle or wherever he put it in his home in Napa Valley. So you you already see that we tried to reach out to people who knew Gil and who played for Gil and at least two of them, uh, in the case of Ed Charles and Tom Seaver, are no longer with us and you know B- buddy harrelson unfortunately is no longer in a position to be out in public uh dealing with alzheimer's so i'm glad we, we got there when we did with those guys and you know in in the years that have succeeded since then uh, bobby valentine was honored one year david wright was honored one year uh, shannon ford the great uh, public relations professional was honored most recently uh before this year 
uh, in the fall of 2021. For those who aren't familiar with Shannon Ford, uh, she was kind of a public relations pioneer with the Mets, uh, one of the highest ranking women executives in baseball, and just the absolute nicest person uh, you're ever going to meet in baseball. Uh, meant a great deal to me personally because she reached out to our little blogging community and made us feel as if we were legitimate media and, you know, opened a side door, you, you might almost say, at City Field, but said, come on in, you guys belong. And, uh, you know, everybody has a story like that, whoever dealt with Shannon Ford. And we were really happy last year that not only, you know, I, I had a chance to say a few words, but Jay Harwitz, who was sort of her mentor, uh, came and said a few words on Shannon's behalf and presented the award to her family, which leads us to this year's uh, honoree. And that was Jay Harwitz. And I thought, you know, and again, I, I my, my role at, at this point is just to be asked, what do you think of this as, as, a, as a winner? What do you think of this choice? And I was asked, what do you think of Jay Harwitz? And I said, this is perfect. And uh, I really honestly meant that, mean that. And I was asked, do you, you know, want to come and give it out again? I said, absolutely. So that, that was me on Saturday, giving out the uh, Gil Hodges Unforgettable Fire Award at Queens Baseball Convention and being uh, up on the stage with uh, Jay Horowitz. If you don't mind, Greg, could you read a portion of the speech you gave introducing uh, Jay Horowitz? Yeah, I guess I could do that. Uh, you know, Jay Horowitz, just as, as, as quick preface, been with the Mets since 1980 when he was hired out of Fairleigh Dickinson University to be the Mets public relations director in 1980 being a milestone year in the Met front office because ownership changed hands, general manager changed hands. So it figures that they would might want to get a new public relations director in place. And one of the things I mentioned in the speech, uh, I won't read this part, I'll just uh, tell everybody that I was home watching a Mets Pirates game in 1980 and it's a rain delay. And, you know, Gary Cohn's like, oh, it always rains in Pittsburgh. It was even then it was true. So before they could fire up the, uh, the highlight films from 69 and 73, because I think Channel 9 had a baseball library of about four highlight films and two of them were those two World Series films. They said, we have a, a special guest for you. This is Jay Harwitz. He is the, uh, the new public relations director for the New York Mets. So I'd never heard of this guy, which is okay, because he never heard of me. And I'm watching this and I'm like, this is, this is Marvin Kaplan. This is the guy who plays Henry the phone repairman on Alice. This is a guy who's you know, been in lots of things. That's who he reminded me of. And he was just very excited. And he gives a little bit of his background the Fairleigh Dickinson stuff, being from New Jersey, but then he like he just wants to tell everybody how how excited he is about all these great Mets that he's now doing publicity for, and everybody should want to know more about these Mets because Lee Mazzilli, did you know he's a speed skater? He was a speed skater. He could have gone to the Olympics. Did you know about Doug Flynn? He 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 likes to play country music. He plays in a band, and Craig Swan he likes to garden. It helps relax him. And I just remember watching Ralph Kiner's and Steve Albert's expressions were oh my God, what have we unleashed on people here? Because there is one and only Jay Harwitz. And we learned it that night. Certainly I did. And I think we've all learned it over 
42 years, about 38 of which were spent doing PR, uh, which is for, for people who may just hear that and, and not know, that's media relations. That's, you know, dealing with the press and getting the word out. And in an around-the-clock sport like baseball, that's not easy. And we know that a few years later, uh, well, when, when those 38, 39 years were over, he uh, has been serving as alumni director. So be, beyond all that, let, let me get to that part of the, uh, the speech here uh, to, to give people an idea of why Jay Harwitz is getting an award. Uh, Jay handled Mets PR for nearly four decades, which meant serving an array of constituencies, unnecessarily demanding deadline tethered media. He strove to inform while building their trust. The hardworking members of his own staff, and I mentioned how we were fortunate to honor Shannon Ford the year before, all those individuals and groups who benefit enormously from having a friend in Flushing, a shining example being all Jay and the Mets have done and keep doing for the families who lost loved ones in the tragedy of September 11th, 2001. If I could go off script here for a moment, uh, every time I've heard Jay talk about September 11th and the aftermath, and we, we think back to the Mets, you know, visiting firehouses and you know, taking time to bring in the kids of those who were lost. Uh, Jay always says that, you know, as much as 1986 met him and he has a 1986 World Series ring, uh, nothing made him prouder than being part of the Mets on that count, doing all they could for the community. And I think that tells you something about Jay. Uh, back to the things he did as PR director. He had to deal with the club owners, the front office, 14 different managers and hundreds of players who couldn't help but maintain specific preferences regarding what they wanted or didn't want publicized. Remember, we're talking about the 1986 Mets in that era. Uh, in the end, he helped the fans who got to understand the team better because Jay worked so hard to put the Mets in a good yet realistic light. Through no more than simply doing his job, I'd say Jay became as recognizable a face to Mets fans as any Mets player between 1980 and 2018, more recognizable than Marvin Kaplan, certainly. In 2018, Jay took on a new role, one that was crying to be creative, one that he was born to fill, directing Met alumni relations. His efforts and the fruits they have yielded have been a revelation for everybody who cherishes this team as Jay has kept, has connected those of us who love the Mets with Mets who might otherwise not realize that we've kept them in our hearts long after they played their last game. Jay won't take credit for old timers day and no doubt everybody from current ownership on down helped him make it happen. But give Jay credit for old timers day, the first one the Mets had held in 28 years. Having someone so dedicated to his players, which at this point is everybody, who's played for the Mets since 1962, was the difference maker in bringing us to a party that was unprecedented in Met annals and an event that was sorely missed by Mets fans in the decades it was absent. Jay also provided a guiding hand in so many of the other signature historically minded moments of 2022. The commemoration of Johan Santana's no hitter, the overdue unveiling of the Tom Seaver statue, the overdue retirement of number 17 for Keith Hernandez, the long overdue retirement of number 24 for Willie Mays. And through his fervor for a goal we all held dear, the long, long overdue of Gil Hodges to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Jay didn't have a vote, but he did have a voice, and he politely and respectfully raised it at every turn to ensure nobody should forget about Gil and that the Hall of Fame should not go another year without enshrining him. And you know, I'm, I'm not reading now, but I will tell you that... Uh, 
I think it meant a lot to me to do, to do this this year because not only Jay, very worthy recipient, but the fact that we began this award almost nine years ago with the goal that Gil Hodges make the Hall of Fame, not pending because a bunch of people got together in Queens to, to give out an award in his name, but the idea that wouldn't it be nice if this maybe helped a little bit or just wouldn't it be nice if we all saw this dream come true? And this was the year, or you know, it was one year ago, the weekend that we had QBC, that they announced the Hall of Fame voting for that committee. And to be able to say, this is an award named for Hall of Famer Gil Hodges. And to do it in front of Irene Hodges, who showed up, uh, much as her brother did at the beginning of QBC. Uh, Irene, uh, Mets fans would, would instantly recognize was the daughter who gave the acceptance speech at Cooperstown this past July. And Jay has been close to the family this whole time, just as Jay has been close to, I think, everybody who's played for the Mets, certainly these last four years as alumni director. So it meant an incredible amount to me personally to not only be the guy who was sort of, you know, the award giver, but to give this award this year and to be able to say to everybody, uh, and when I say we, I don't mean QBC, I mean all of baseball, we did it. Uh, Gil is in. Gil did it. Gil deserved this a long time ago. And to hand the award to Jay and for Jay to make a brief acceptance speech where he made it all about what it meant to him to have an award named after Gil Hodges, that even though he wasn't the PR director that that long ago, uh, he understands who Gil Hodges was, understands what he meant to the Mets, uh, how every time he talks to one of the 69 Mets, which he does frequently, uh, they always invoke Gil Hodges to talk about Gil Hodges, the man, Gil Hodges, the Marine, Gil Hodges, the, the father and the husband and all those things, which all goes into the idea of an award named for Gil Hodges. So to have it all kind of come full circle in one place in front of a room full of Mets fans who are on board with this. Uh, listen, this is a, a great day to get together and just yak about the Mets and to go off into the other rooms and, and line up for autographs. Cause like I said, they bring in some, some terrific players, but plenty of people like stay seated for my little historical presentation every year, which I really appreciate. And I really appreciate that the guys who run the show uh, always carve out a few minutes for this presentation, especially this year. And I really appreciate a, a little token of their esteem that, uh, that they were kind enough to present me with. I have a championship ring or a championship style ring from QBC. I think that this is a first. Uh, it was just their way of saying thank you for doing the award all these years. So they, they took the time out to hand me uh, what looks like a World Series ring, except you know we're Mets fans. It's not a World Series ring. Don't get too excited, folks. But it has the QBC logo, and uh, it's, it's sparkly, and it's far, far too big for a non-athlete to wear. But uh, I have it at my desk, and I'm getting a big kick out of having it and uh, the sentiment behind it. So uh, we didn't really publicize the QBC this year. They sell tickets anyway. Uh, keep it in mind for next year. Keep it in mind for, I don't know when it'll be, November, December 2023, January 2024. Uh, we'll try to let you know. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm always amazed, just like anything, uh, in these non-monoculture days, 
people don't know about certain things. QBC has been around, like I said, almost 10 years. Uh, the people who go swear by it. Uh, I swear by it. It's just a great break in the winter doldrums to be able to say, let's go hang out with Mets and Mets fans. Uh, there are people who I feel like I don't see except that one once a year at QBC. I ran into a guy I went to high school with at QBC, my uh, fellow Mets fan. We used to sit and we used to say, uh, hey, what do you think about Gil Flores uh, being in the outfield this year? So a little Gil Flores, a little Gil Hodges. Uh, it's a great Mets experience. So uh, that, that was my Saturday. Uh, Friday was losing Jacob deGrom. Sunday was talking to you about losing Jacob deGrom. And Monday was getting Justin Verlander. So it was a pretty interesting four days. And what happened every time Jacob deGrom was mentioned at the QBC? Jacob deGrom will not be running for borough president of Queens, <laughs> even though uh, I'm sure there are people who came in from other counties, other boroughs. I don't think Jacob deGrom will be running for office in the New York metropolitan area anytime soon. Uh, I couldn't resist. I had brought uh, Jay's book, Mr. Met, with me as kind of a prop. I wanted to play off of something in the book in my presentation, and I couldn't help but notice and couldn't resist pointing out when I held it up. I said, "This, you know, Jay's book, Mr. Met, forward by Jacob deGrom, which is true. And as soon as I said Jacob deGrom, boo! And I was not the first person to invoke Jacob deGrom from the podium and not the last person to hear booze uh, for Jacob deGrom. I listen, listen, if Jacob deGrom wanted to uh, ensure that he would be, his name would be greeted warmly in the borough of Queens, uh, there were things he could have done, but I guess that was not on his priority list. And if you want to read Greg's speech in its entirety and see that ring, go to faithandfearandflushing.com. And just so you know that, NLT is up to the minute with breaking news. Before we sign off, the Mets have acquired Brooks Raley from the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, he's a left-handed relief pitcher. So it's not Hubie Brooks, it's Brooks Raley. It's Raley, Brooks Raley. Well, you know, we can always use a lefty, which is one of those things a person would say when he knows absolutely nothing else about Brooks Raley. His name is familiar. In exchange for Keyshawn Askew. I ask you to tell me everything <laughs> you know about Keyshawn Askew. Uh, I hear he's going to the Rays. Uh, listen, we could be sitting here in the next year, three years, saying, how did we let Keyshawn Askew go? I actually wrote down the names Taylor Saucedo, Stephen Riding, Chef Brigham, Eliezer Hernandez, William Woods, Denny Reyes, Jimmy the Yak Yakabonis. And now Brooks Raley. So, uh, you know, we're not just signing Justin Verlander and we're not just getting Jose Quintana and we're not just re-signing Edwin Diaz. Uh, we are getting what they call inventory. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to know anything about those other guys. We have the winter. We're done with QBC and we're done with this episode. So we have time to learn more about Brooks Raley. I, uh, I salute uh, my podcast partner from uh, working the phones while I was talking <laughs> and getting that exclusive uh, to our airwaves. Came over the fax machine, Greg. Fills uh, a need for a left-handed reliever. We'll see what else the Mets do. We'll be back next week with more of National League Town. Thank you for listening. Until next week, I'm Jeff Heisen. I'm with Brooks Raley and Greg Prince. And as always, let's go Mets.
Copyright 2022 music provided by the Royal Arctic Institute. Check them out on Spotify.